Remember, uh, we talked briefly about, just mentioned the fact that, that Hebrews 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. And it's known as the Hall of Faith because it's pointing back to the faith of the, the different um, men and women, you know, throughout those long ages before the time of Christ, uh, who trusted God, who believed him. And so as the author has been challenging his readers not to lose their grip, uh, not to back off in their commitment to Christ, he then, you know, launches into this uh, 11th chapter and reminds them of all of the, their ancestors, really, or their, their you know, the people that preceded them who uh, were faithful and demonstrated faith. So he calls us, uh, calling them, calling us as well to learn the lessons of faith through the lives of these uh, particular people that he mentions. And so he mentions many in the passage that we read. Uh, of course, Abraham is the predominant figure there, but Sarah's mentioned, uh, Isaac's mentioned, Jacob's mentioned, Joseph's mentioned. We want to focus today really on Abraham, um, mainly because Abraham is designated in Scripture as the father of faith. He's the father of all those who believe. And so Abraham becomes kind of a, a model for faith. If you want to know what faith looks like, in other words, then look at Abraham. He, he's an example for us of that. So we're going to look at that. But before we pick up in uh, verse 8, we just need to have a little bit of background because the author assumes that we know the background with Abraham. So I would imagine many of you do, but maybe not everyone knows the background. So let me just uh, give a little context here. So Abraham was a descendant of um, Noah's son. Uh, it, Noah had, had three sons, and um, he was a descendant of Shem. And it was through Shem that the, the promises would be fulfilled, uh, ultimately. And Abraham lived in a place called Ur in the land of the Chaldees, in ancient Mesopotamia, which is modern-day Iraq. So Abraham actually came from uh, the area of southern Iraq, and he lived there approximately 2,000 years before the time of Christ. And so it was there in that place in southern Iraq where Abraham lived that we read in the New Testament that the God of glory appeared to Abraham. And uh, his name was Abram at the time. God would change his name later to Abraham. But God appeared to him, and this was the message that he gave to him. He said this, recorded for us in Genesis chapter 12. He said, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that's the background to verse 8. And then in verse 8, we read, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So God appears to this man, and 
he appears to him for the, for the specific purpose to uh, create a, a new nation through which he's going to bring about his promises. And it's through this new nation that, that God is going to create through this man, Abraham, and his family that the Messiah is going to come into the world. So what we read about Abraham is his response to God was obedience. And so this is the first thing that we need to note. Faith responds in obedience. Abraham believed God and he obeyed God. So the Lord appears to him and and he just says, you know, get out of your, your land, your country, away from your family, your father's house, and that was, the, that was the initial call. And he did it. He obeyed. And so as we are people today living by faith, that's going to show itself in obedience. If we say that we believe God, if we say that we trust God, if we say that we have faith, and yet we're not obedient, then our, our claim is invalid. Uh, uh, real, true faith shows itself in obedience. First of all, obedience to the clear you know, commands of God in Scripture that are there for all of us, but it's going to also um, show itself in more personal kinds of obedience like we see with Abraham here. The thing that always strikes me about this passage, it says... And he went out not knowing where he was going. You know, the thing that gets me about that is that is often the way God does things. God gives us a command that's going to lead to, uh, you know, something far, far beyond the command many times, but he doesn't give us the details and he calls us to just take uh, a, a step of faith in, in, his, in uh, going out, sometimes not knowing where we're going or not, not really knowing you know, what the end result is going to be. Sometimes people come to me and say, you know, God has shown me his plan for my life. And then they go into this elaborate, detailed description of what God has shown them. And then they say, well, what do you think? I say, well, (laughs) this is what I think. I think uh, most of that is your imagination. Because in my experience, and in, I think you could build the case from scripture, you know, God, he doesn't give us all the details in advance. He sometimes gives us the big picture. Like with Abraham, he says, you know, really he gives them the immediate and he gives them the, the, the long-term result. He says, leave your country, and in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But what's going to happen in between, God does not tell him. And, you know, personally, I found that to be the case as well. God doesn't give you the in-between parts. He just gives you the command and sometimes he shows you that, you know, it's, this is kind of where you're going to end up over here. But he reserves the details uh, for himself. And that's where faith comes in. So like Abraham, he went out not knowing where he was going. God didn't appear to him and say, hey, get out of your land and go to the land of Canaan. Now that's where he was going. 
But God didn't tell him that initially. God only gave him the second step after he, in obedience, took the first step. And we need to understand that, that that's really a principle. Because sometimes, you know, God's called us to take step number one, but we're uh, holding back, looking for clarity on step two and three, and the Lord says, no, 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 we'll get to step two and three after you take step number one. So you see, we will find ourselves as well uh, at times where we have to uh, do a similar kind of thing. We will have to step out. We will have to obey. We will have to move forward, not knowing necessarily where we're going. Years ago, uh, back in 1990, actually, um, through some different circumstances and meeting some people, I became convinced that God was calling me to take a trip into Eastern Europe, into what was at that time the country of Yugoslavia. And, um, you know, back in 1990, of course, we didn't have, you know, cell phones and uh, all of that kind of stuff. And we didn't, uh, I mean, even, you know, computers, uh, there were computers back then, but, you know, not everybody had their own personal computer back in those days. And I had connected with this couple that lived in a small village in one of the provinces of Yugoslavia, and they lived in a village that was 500 years old that probably had a couple hundred people in it, and they had one phone for the whole village. And so, you know, we were trying to make plans for me and this team to come over. They invited us to come and do some ministry. They thought maybe, you know, maybe God could do something. They, they kind of took a step of faith and invited me and said, you know, well, you're a pastor of a church. Why don't you come over and see what God will do? And I became convinced through some different circumstances that I was supposed to do that. But there were tons of details that we just never were able to uh, nail down. So I remember as we were just getting ready to go, uh, a friend of mine said, so, so um, what, are you, what are you guys going to do over there? My response was, you know, I don't know. And his second question was, well, where are you going to stay? My response was, uh, I'm not sure. And then, uh, you know... <laughs> Who's, who's putting this thing together? Uh, I, I, I'm not really, uh, you know, some people over there, you know, I'm not even sure, you know, who they are. Uh, but I had just this, this absolute conviction, even really, honestly, against my, my, my desires and to some extent against my better judgment. Uh, but I had this conviction that I was supposed to go. So we got on a plane in LA, and we flew to Belgrade, Yugoslavia. And we came through customs and everything. We walked out, and there were a couple guys that had a sign with our names on it. So we figured, okay, I guess that's step number one. We, I guess we go with them. And uh, we did. We went with them. We, pi- we all piled into, I think, two cars. One of them was a Vita bus. And then we took off for a couple hundred kilometer drive. And next thing I knew, we were out in some little village somewhere. And we get out of the car, and there are pigs and chickens and, you know... And I'm looking around thinking, wow, where in the world are we? What are we doing here? And we had scheduled that trip for three weeks, 21 days. About halfway through it, everybody was looking at me going, Brian, what are we doing here? What were you thinking? Why, why did you think God was telling uh, you that you were supposed to come to do this? And why did you drag us along with you on this trip? And, you know, I seriously was wondering all of that myself. And, you know, about halfway through the trip, suddenly everything changed and went in a direction that, you know, we 
had no way of expecting, and we stumbled upon a group of young people in a city. Uh, we had only been in villages for about the first week and a half, and we finally found that, oh, wow, there's a city here. And we went into the city. We met a group of young people. We shared the gospel with them, and they were so open. They were so responsive. About you know, 25 of them received Christ right on the spot. And here's the big point. That became the first church plant into Eastern Europe, which has led to a couple hundred churches being planted over the past 25 years. But at the time, at the time, you know, this was a, a clear case of uh, we went out not knowing in, the, in that sense where we were going, not knowing what we were going to do. We didn't know that. But we just went with the conviction that God was calling us. And you see, that's, that's what faith does. Faith takes that step. When you can't see where it's headed, but you have a sense that God is wanting you to go in that direction, that's what Abraham did. That's what we will do today if we are seeking to live lives of faith. So that's the first thing we notice. Secondly... We read in verse 9, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. He dwelt in the land of promise as a foreigner. When we live by faith, there's going to be this element where, for, the, for lack of a better way to describe it, it we're, we're taken out of our comfort zone. We're not taken out of our comfort zone and necessarily placed in a, you know, a state of misery, but, but we're taken out of our comfort zone. You see, obviously for Abraham, it would have been much more comfortable to just stay home. You know, okay, God appears to him and says, you know, I want to bless you and I want to use you. And Abraham could have said, oh, that's great. That all sounds so good. How about let's just do it right here? What do we have to leave for? But part of the plan is that he has to go and he has to dwell in this land in which he is a foreigner. So he's taken out of his comfort zone. And like I said, he's not put in a miserable situation, but he's just put in a situation that is not as comfortable as he previously was. And he committed to that was, that was going to be his life. You know, as Christians today, and throughout every generation, but you know, today, in case you guys haven't noticed, the planet we live on is imploding. The, the societies that, uh, you know, we're, we're part of and, and surrounded by, you know, everything's kind of unraveling before us. And this is a strategic time. And it's not a time to be thinking about, you know, settling down so much and, you know, making a, a permanent kind of a plan or name for ourselves in a certain place. It's a time to be open to, to be saying, Lord, if you want, you know, like Abraham, if you want me to be, uh, you know, live as a foreigner in the land of promise, if you've got some promises that you want to give and some things that you want to do, and it's going to take a relocation or something like that on my part, then I want to do that. I, I pray 
that that's the heart that all of us would have today. Because that's what the life of faith looks like. Now, not everybody's called to uproot and go off and you know, do something um, you know, in another location. It's more a matter of the heart. It's more a matter of just saying, you know, I'm open to this. And, and to live with kind of an expectation that if, if things are just too comfortable, then maybe I need to take some steps or maybe I need to change my lifestyle a little bit uh, so God could, God could do something. You know, there have, been, there have been times in my own life where I've just looked and I thought, you know, th- this is too comfortable. And, um, you know, it's good. It's enjoyable. It's a blessing. But, but it's too comfortable. Years ago when the Lord called, you know, Cheryl and I and our kids, you know, to leave and move to Europe and to plant a church and all of that, you know, we were having a great time doing what we were doing. We were pastoring a good, solid church. We had wonderful relationships, lots of friends, and lots of great ministry happening. It was all good. But you know, one day I just thought to myself, man, this is so good, and it's so comfortable. It's so easy. You know, I get a consistent paycheck, and life is pretty predictable, and, you know, church is going well, and Life is enjoyable and, you know, all, all of that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that was a blessing. But I just had to ask myself the question, where am I living by faith? Where's the faith in this picture right now? And I could say, well, you know, we did an outreach. We had to exercise some faith for that. And, you know, we stepped out and did this and we had to exercise some faith. Okay. But, you know, I had to just take a serious look at my own life and say, where, where am I really living by faith? And I had to conclude that, you know, this is a comfortable situation and it's an enjoyable situation, but, but maybe I need to be willing to, you know, maybe be a little bit less comfortable because maybe God wants to do something. And, of course, looking back with hindsight, I could see all the, God was working all of that stuff into my life because it, it ended up being true. And I, my final conclusion was, when I decided at that point to go, I concluded, you know, um, somebody else can do what I'm doing right here. Somebody else could step in at that point and, you know, they could, they could effectively pastor the church. And I had good people around me that I was confident could do that. Somebody could do this, but nobody's going to do that. And unless somebody goes, it's not going to get done. So my conclusion was, I need to go so it could happen. And, and we did. And we became, um, strangers in a foreign land. We lived in a foreign land. And so, you know, there's just that, there's that element there where, okay, this is different. It's, it's, uh, it's not as comfortable. It's not as easy. And that's what faith uh, is going to look like. Obviously, that's my faith story. Your, yours will look different, but it'll have those kinds of similarities like Abraham. There's similarities in all of our lives. And so he obeyed. He uh, willingly put himself in a place that was less comfortable than it might have naturally been. And then the third thing 
that we see about him in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. The thing that we see here is that the life of faith includes sacrifice. Now, Isaac was the promised child. He was the one that Abraham had waited for all of those years. And he was the one through whom the promises were going to be fulfilled. But now God says to Isaac, or or to Abraham, he says, I want you to put Isaac on the altar as a sacrifice. And what we read here about Abraham, and even in Genesis we read the same thing, is that he did it unhesitatingly. You see, by this time in his life, he had had uh, many, many opportunities to have his faith uh, strengthened. And so now he's at that place in his life where it's time, really, this is kind of like the big test, you know, sort of the final test for him. Uh, But just know that God's prepared him for this time. And when it comes, he responds... uh, Wonderfully, He responds perfectly. He does exactly what God told him to do. And he does so even though none of this makes sense. I mean, you, you could imagine that Abraham would say, okay, wait. Now, you told me you're going to give me this son. And I waited 25 years. And you finally fulfilled your promises. And, you know, he had all of that back history to look back on. And you told me that through... Um, you know, it would be through Isaac that the promise would come. It would be through his seed. And Isaac doesn't have any seed. Isaac's not married. He has no wife. He has no children. And now you're calling me to take him and to offer him up. Now, none of that makes sense. But Abraham, at this time, his faith is so established He just says, well, it doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm sure it makes sense to God. And since God promised that the seed's going to come through Isaac, if he's calling me to offer him up as a sacrifice, I guess God's going to raise him from the dead. That was the conclusion that Abraham had. He had such confidence that God would not fail to keep his word that even if Isaac were to die, God would raise him up from the dead miraculously in order to fulfill his word. So... But going back to the point, the point is he, as a man of faith, he sacrificed. And if we're going to live lives of faith, there's going to be the sacrificial element. There are going to be things that God says, I want you to give that up. I want you to put that on the altar. Sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it's a position. Sometimes it's a possession. And there, there are those times when those things, although they're not bad, they could be the thing that prevents us from that real act of faith that's going to result in the glory of God. So there, as we're thinking about living by faith, we have to recognize there are times where by faith we make sacrifices. Now, here, the writer... What he's doing in these passages, one of the things he's doing is he's wanting them to see 
two things. He's wanting them to see, first of all, that God does things in a totally different way than man does. You know, you've heard the term counterintuitive. God is counterintuitive. You know, we think it's going to be one way. God does it completely the opposite of what we think. You can almost at times, you know, uh, conclude. If men think it ought to go this way, then God probably has a plan for it to go the other way. Because that's how opposite we are so often. And so we're told in verse 12, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So the emphasis is on him who was as good as dead. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. 100 years old. Sarah was 90. Now, you think, okay, God's going to bring about this new humanity. He's going to create a new uh, family of people. I mean, what, what would you do? You'd look for a nice, strong, young couple, right? We're going to start a new nation and look at this ideal couple here. Look at these specimens. This, you know, handsome, young, strong guy and this gorgeous, young, beautiful girl, and they're going to have the, you know, best-looking kids, and we're going to get a whole new thing going. That's how we would do it. God says, okay, I'm going to start a new nation. Let me find the oldest guy I can. Okay, what? Here's a guy. Here's a guy. Okay, yeah, he's 75 now. Oh, that's too young. We'll wait till he's 100, and then we'll, you know, and his wife, oh, she's too young right now. You know, she's, uh, she's 65. We're going to wait till she's 90. See, that's the counterintuitiveness of God. That's the way he does things. He, he doesn't need the things that we think are necessary for his, for his plan and purpose to be accomplished. We often make the mistake of thinking that God needs great talent, great strength, great brilliance, great resources. That's what we think. Because we often think just, you know, we think naturally. It's like the story comes to mind when, um, you know, God was going to replace Saul as the king of Israel, and he sends Samuel to the house of Jesse, and Jesse has these sons that God says to Samuel, he says, from among Jesse's sons, I've chosen myself a king. So Samuel's to go and anoint, and as Samuel goes and Jesse gathers his whole family together, all of his sons, the first one who steps forward, he's... Uh, strong, he's handsome, he's, you know, all of those things. And Samuel looks at him and says, wow, surely the Lord's anointed is right in front of me. This is the guy. And the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, no, that's not the guy. You're wrong. And he said, Samuel, this is the problem. Man looks on the outer appearance. God looks on the heart. And he reminded Samuel, he said, I have not chosen him. He went through all of Jesse's sons and there was no king. And Samuel finally said to Jesse, he said, do you have, do you have any more sons? And Jesse said, yeah, I have one more, but surely he can't be the one. Samuel said, call him. Guess what? He was the one. That was David. 
in his own father's eyes, he was so insignificant that he wasn't even invited in. But he's the one that God chose. And so we need to learn those lessons. It's not great talent. It's not great strength. It's not great brilliance. It's not great resources. That mistaken notion has probably done more to hinder the work of God than any of us can imagine. Because isn't it true that we so often find ourselves thinking, well, we can't advance, we can't move forward, there's not really much that we can do because we don't have great talent or strength or brilliance or resources. But listen, it's not great talent that God is looking for, it's great trust in him. Anybody can do that, right? Anybody can trust God. So it's not great talent, it's great trust. It's not great strength, it's great surrender. I can't tell you how many times over the years I would be so frustrated because as I've mentioned occasionally, I'd lived with a chronic illness for many, many years that that caused me to be in a very weakened state. And I would just think, gosh, Lord, I'm just so weak. I wish I was stronger. If I was only stronger, I could do so many more things for you. And you know, the Lord would just always be faithful to remind me, you know what, my strength is made perfect in weakness, so just don't worry about it. But we think that way, right? But it's not great strength. It's great surrender. I remember years ago, the, uh, you know, there was a group that went around the country, the power team. You know, they would come to your church and there they were all bulked up, you know, and they would rip a phone book in half, you know, and they would shout and roar and you know, we're here, the power of God and all of that. And, you know, I'm not questioning the, their hearts. I mean, I'm sure they were probably, you know, sincere about what they were doing. But nevertheless, you know, it's really not, it's really not what it's about. It's not great strength. It's great surrender. It's not great brilliance. It's great belief. How, how many times have we thought, man, if we could just lead some you know, super intellectual guy to Christ. And then, boy, what an impact, you know, that person would have because you'd be so smart and everybody would know that if you're smart, you believe in Jesus because that smart guy believes in Jesus. And, you know, we think that way a lot of the times. But we just have to remember that, you know, God, those things aren't necessary as far as God is concerned. And, and many times they can actually be um, a stumbling block. They can actually uh, be, be part of the problem rather than the solution. It's not great resources, it's great reliance. See, that's what this passage reminds us of. And from one man and him as good as dead, God brought salvation to the whole world. That's amazing. But that's the way God works. And so just think, what might the Lord have planned for your life? You see, we read about Abraham, we think, oh, well, that was Abraham. Well, who was Abraham? He was just this guy that lived in southern Iraq 4,000 years ago. We think of great faith, we think, oh, Moses, the man of faith. Who was Moses? You know, whenever we think of people of faith, what we always think of is the result of what happened through their trusting God, and then we somehow mistakenly attribute that to them. We have to remember, no, 
before God worked, they were just like us. They're just ordinary people. So as we look at our world today, as we look at the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, as we look at the whole international scene and the, the, the situation that we find before us with the nations, you know, I think it's a strategic time in history, just like it was back when God chose Abraham. It's another strategic time in history where God is looking for people who will trust him that he can do work through. And we would sometimes look at ourselves and say, well, you know, it couldn't be me because after all, uh, I'm not really that kind of person. I'm not the smartest person around or I'm not the most gifted. I'm not the strongest. I'm not the, you know, um, person who has all, all of the resources or whatever. But those are not the things that matter. What God is interested in is faith, trust in him. And so just like God worked through Abraham because he believed, God will work through us today as we trust in him. And there's one final thing that I want to take us to as we wrap things up. Notice what it says in verse 13. It says, these all died in faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. What the writer is doing here is he's, he's showing them that these people with less uh, understanding with less, uh, really with a lesser covenant, if these people with a lesser covenant did these things, how is it that you with the greater covenant are faltering and wavering and not progressing? That's what he's saying to them. They died in faith. They didn't receive the promises like you did. But look what they did. And so he's really provoking them by, by kind of a comparison. Look, you guys have received everything. You've received all the promises. They didn't receive the promises, but look what they did. So you having received them, you ought to be in a different place than you're at. You ought to be uh, excelling beyond where they were in their faith. That's the point that he's making there in comparing. But notice what he says. He says, they all died in faith, not having received the promises. But listen, he says, they saw them afar off, they were assured of them, and they embraced them. They saw them afar off, they were assured of them, they embraced them. And that's how we do it, just like they did. God makes a promise to Abraham. He doesn't see it right in front of him, but, but he sees it through the eyes of faith. He believes God. You know, think about Abraham. He never really inherited the full um, fulfillment of, his, of the promises God gave to him. God said, through you, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Abraham was long gone before anything ever went in that direction. He saw Isaac, he saw Jacob, and that was the end of it. But just as God had promised, the nation of Israel was born. 
and eventually Christ came and the gospel went out and here we are today. We're blessed today because of Abraham. All the nations of the earth were blessed through him. But he didn't see any of that fulfilled. You know, as I shared this earlier, one of our um, a friend who is on staff with us here, she said to me, she said, you know, and she's getting older, she said, you know, that really encouraged me. I prayed for my children, I prayed for my grandchildren, and you know, there's still many of them that aren't walking with the Lord, and I might, I might be gone before I ever see them come to the Lord, but I know that they will by faith. And I thought, that's right, that's how to apply this in those kinds of things. So, they saw them afar off, they were convinced of them, they were assured of them, and they embraced them. And you see, that's what we do. God calls us to things, we can't see them, but we believe them, and we embrace them, and we say, okay, Lord, let it be so. And then we trust God to bring us through whatever he takes us through to get to that place. And they confessed in the end that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And let me say this as we close. This is a concept of the church that we have to, we have to regain this concept because this is a biblical picture. The biblical picture of the church of Jesus Christ is that it is, uh, it's mobile. The church of Jesus it, it was always designed to be something that was moving, something that was um, never settling into this world, but always moving through the world with the eyes on the future, with the eyes on eternity. But you know, the church has, has been tempted historically to try to settle down into the earth, to try to settle down and become an earthly kingdom. But that's never been the plan. The plan has always been that we would be strangers and pilgrims. The church is nomadic. You know what nomadic people are? They're people who live in tents, not cities. And guess what you can do with a tent? You can pack it up and you can move it to a new location. And these guys lived in tents, not because they didn't have any choice. We're told right here in the text that they could have, had they wanted to, they could have gone back to the cities they came from, but they didn't. Why? Because they were looking for another city whose builder and maker is God. And the application for us today is this. We live in this world for sure, but this is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we're to be nomadic as well. We are to be ready to pull up stakes at any time and just say, Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? That's the way Christians are to live their lives. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't settle anywhere. It just means that we don't, figuratively speaking, build a city there. We don't... We don't settle down to the point that we're anchored there and we can't budge from that place. This is it. You know, whether that's your, the place you live at, your location uh, where you live, or whether it's the profession you're in, the job you're, you've chosen, the wh whatever, the, the kids you have, the family you have that you say, you know, no, I live here. I work here. This is my family. We're all huddled together here. No, that's not the way it works in the kingdom.
We can have all of those things, but we have to hold them loosely because the Lord is going to say at certain points, hey, pull up the tent stakes. We're going over here. And that's how the kingdom advances. That's how the gospel is spread through men and women of faith who live as pilgrims and sojourners here on the earth. So we have that mentality. And even if God calls us to stay in a certain location, like obviously many of us are called here, I think I'm called here now to stay in this location. But at the same time, you know, in our hearts, we're always open and ready, but we're always thinking in terms too of, you know, we're, we're nomadic, we're moving on. As, as many of you know, over the past year, over this last year, We've had a number of guys, you know, Pete, Nanji recently, Ken a few months back, you know, some of the other guys. You know, we're all good friends. We've all ministered together for years. We, it's all great. And, you know, for us, it's like, hey, let's all huddle here and just have a great time at Costa Mesa. But you know what? The Lord's saying, no, here, we're taking this one over here. No, they're going over there. And, you know, you find that that's the case. And you find that not just with your good friends, but you find that with your children. For years and years, I used to send young men and women off to the mission field. I never once thought about how their parents felt about it. I was just so excited. Man, these guys are going to the mission field. There's a church plant that's going to happen. People are going to get saved. People are going to get discipled. And here's this young guy or this young girl or here's this young couple and their kids. And yeah, we're sending them to the mission field. And of course, their parents were just like, who is this Pastor Brian? I want to kill him, you know? <laughs> what do you mean he wants to send you here or there? Or, you know, who said he could do that? And I never thought about it. But then, you know, one day the Lord said, hey, guess what? It's your turn. I'm going to take your kids and I'm going to put them all over the planet here. And you're going to realize by your own experience that this is part of the cost of the life of faith. But it's good in the end. I wouldn't have it any other way to see God working in the lives of those that we love and working through their lives. And that's what God wants to do for all of us. So remember that our citizenship is not here on earth. It's in heaven. So whether, you know, if God calls you to plant yourself here, this is your place of residence, fine. But remember, your heart needs to always be free. And God might not say to you, I want you to pick up and I want you to move. He, but like I said, he might say, I want you to let your kids go and not hold on to them. He might say, I want you to let your money go because I want you to help support these guys as they go out there because this is all about that. It's all about faith and it's all about getting the gospel out. It's not about building a permanent uh, city for ourselves here because we have a city that is coming whose builder and maker is God. And that's where we want our focus. And that's where Abraham's focus was. And so by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, just trusting God, knowing that there was a heavenly country that he would ultimately inherit. So Lord, help us to be like this man, Abraham. And in our time, in our generation, to be men and women of faith. Lord, we know that you're certainly not done with your work in the world. We know that the, the kingdom of God is still advancing. 
And we know that it advances through men and women of faith. And so, Lord, here we are today in the 21st century. Here we are today, November 1st, 2015. And Lord, you're doing a work in the world and you do it through your servants. And we have to exercise faith. And you gave us all of these examples of what that looks like. And so from Abraham's life, Lord, may we learn the lessons that we need to learn to live the life that you want us to live in this time. And may we make the difference that needs to be made. In Jesus' name, amen.